You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Most enterprises use disparate systems to manage spend. The result? A reactive manual approach. CFOs and controllers, you deserve better. You deserve a unified spend platform from Brex. Brex makes it easy to proactively control spend with cards, spend management, travel, and bill pay in one place. You can create budgets with controls built in, track and adjust in real time to keep teams accountable, and automate compliance to close the books faster. Ready to control your spend with one unified platform? Visit Brex.com. The life of any actor is one of going in and out of employment. But for Jeffrey Owens back in 2018, his work was captured in a photo and spread across the Internet. In part two of our conversation, Jeffrey opens up about what led to his job at Trader Joe's. We talk about the importance of work and how hard it can be for actors to find it. I've gone through seven, eight, nine months at a time with no work, and then a day or two of work, and then another month or two or three or four or five without work. This, is, this was my life for 10 to 12 years. Welcome to Why I'll Never Make It, or Win Me for short. Here you'll learn how artists and creatives handle the setbacks and challenges in their careers. I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, a professional actor and singer for almost 30 years. All subscribers will receive a free copy of a new ebook I just completed. It's a collection of quotes and insights from previous podcast guests all about auditions, mindset, lessons learned, and so much more. This is the first ebook I've put together and is available to anyone who subscribes to the Win Me newsletter. Just go to whyillnevermakeit.com. These episodes with Jeffrey are basically two sides of the same coin. On one hand, he found great success in being on a hit TV show and working with amazing actors and directors. But then, on the other hand, Jeffrey, like so many of us, has gone through months of auditions and auditions, yet finding no work. And this pandemic has only brought extra layers of stress and lack of opportunity. 2020 was, to say it was the worst year of my life is such an understatement. Just horrific. Was most of that professional or personal or equal parts? Personal. But professional as well in that I hardly worked, you know. Yep, right there with you. I worked uh, less than a handful of days of the year. So what do artists do when the jobs we want most are nowhere to be found? Well, we find other ways to make money and fill our time until we can get back to doing what we love most. You know, most actors, most all actors take side jobs. I've certainly had plenty of them. But I'm guessing there is a certain expectations of those who have made it or been on big TV shows that they shouldn't have to take side jobs anymore. Did you ever feel that expectation of yourself? Absolutely. It was a very difficult decision to take a job like Trader Joe's. And that doesn't, Trader Joe's is a wonderful place to work, by the way. And I had a great experience there. But when I say a job like Trader Joe's, I just mean a regular job, a job outside of show business. Um, because of 
you know, the, the, the attention that I've gotten in my career and the, the fact that at some point in my career, 55 plus million people watched me on television on a Thursday night. And that since those times, not a day has gone by in my life when someone, at least one person, has not recognized me in public and, and approached me about having been on the Cosby Show. So, yeah, when you've lived for 30, 35 years with that kind of, that level of celebrity, whatever you, however you might define that, it's a, a little bit of a daunting prospect, to say the least, to get a job where you are going to be in contact with the public constantly in a completely different capacity. What I would, I used to think to myself, well, I, I could never blame someone for feeling weirded out by encountering me working in a grocery store. <laughs> what if I went into a restaurant or a bank or a grocery store or whatever, or a shoe store and Joaquin Phoenix was one of the people working there? Right. It it would freak me out. I mean, I wouldn't be a, an asshole about it. I wouldn't say a stupid thing about it. I would be like, I want I want right. to say out loud, even though what are you what the hell are you doing here? I would want to say, what happened? <laughs> because to me, the last thing I saw, Joaquin Phoenix, you were in this movie, you were in that movie. I mean, I I I idolized you, I admire you. You should be you should be doing this, you should be doing that. What are you doing here? And this is, I don't equate myself with Joaquin Phoenix, by the way. Um, but but for my fans, for people who grew up watching me on the Cosby show or or, or uh, admire me, they feel like they feel that way. Like they don't get it. And I don't blame them. How could they get it? How could they understand how the entertainment business works? How could they understand how the entertainment business and any given actor's individual life experience works. They can't. Yeah, because they watch us. They see us on stage or on screen. And to a certain extent, they know us. They know our body of work, but they don't know what our lives are like. Of course. And you make assumptions. I do the same thing. I put myself in their shoes. I do the same thing. If I went into a pizza restaurant and saw Al Pacino behind the counter, I'd be like, I'd probably walk out. I'd be embarrassed. <laughs> I don't want to see Al Pacino serving me pizza. You exactly. know what I mean? Exactly. But I'll tell you, having said that, the people that I encountered at Trader Joe's, the customers were beautiful. They were lovely. I got recognized every day, at least a handful of times, you know, whether people approached me or not, whether it was a nod or a wink or a smile or whatever. Only, only once in the 15 months that I worked there did someone say something that remotely put me on edge about it. People were wonderful about it. And how about the workers there? How how were you treated as well? Oh, they the were totally cool. They were totally cool. Um, in fact, it was funny because for whatever reason, a, a lot of the workers at first didn't know who I was. They just didn't make the connection. They either either maybe because I was wearing a beard most of the time and gained a little gained a little weight, or or they so not expected that guy from the Cosby Show to be working with them at Trader Joe's that they. They might have even looked straight at me like, <laughs> oh, he looks like that, but that's not him. And and some of the guys I worked for, my supervisors, it took them a little while <laughs> to to catch on. So that was kind of that was kind of charming, I thought. No, yeah, and, and actually I'm gonna turn that question back around on you. So, you know, you were saying Joaquin Phoenix, you know, what 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 are you doing here? What what happened? So 
what did lead up to you needing to go to work at Trader Joe's? Um, debt, financial uh, hardship. I'll put it this way, Patrick. When I took the job at Trader Joe's, I didn't even take the job at Trader Joe's to make money. And you're, I know you're going, what do you mean by that? I didn't even take the tr job at Trader Joe's to get out of debt. And now I know you're saying, well, what are you talking about? What did you take? I took the job at Trader Joe's, Patrick, to stop the debt from growing. Oh. I didn't even get out of debt from working with Trader Joe's. I just was able to stop the debt. Now, how I got into debt, long story. People get into debt, right? People get into debt when they spend more than they make. Am I a spendthrift? Absolutely not. My my family and I, we don't spend a lot of money on that stuff. But keep in mind, I've gone for the last 10 to 12 years through so many periods of months and months at a time with no work. I've gone through seven, eight, nine months at a time with no work and then a day or two of work and then another month or two or three or four or five without work. This is this was my life for 10 to 12 years. I think that's the life of any regular actor. And right? the only consistent work being theater, which I appreciate artistically, but is not, you know, is not enough to support yourself or family and, you know. And so 10, 12 years of that, living a normal life with ex the normal expenses of a normal person with a wife and a kid, you know, there's debt starts building up. And finally it was like, you know what? I got to do something about this. I can't, I can't just wait for the next acting job. I've got to go out and get a regular job. And then it was a matter of what can I do though? Two things so that I won't, it won't be, you know, extremely awkward. Okay, I don't want a job where it's just going to be like flat out embarrassing or humiliating or something. And also, I want to find a job that'll give me some kind of flexibility to try to keep one foot in the business, which Trader Joe's actually allowed me to do. I actually got five gigs while I was working at Trader Joe's. I think I got four TV gigs in a commercial while I was working there, which is you know pretty cool. They were very good about letting me audition for things and letting me take jobs. But yeah, debt, man. <laughs> yeah, because a lot of times actor jobs, the, those side jobs are called survival jobs. You know, we take them just to survive, just to pay the rent. And were there other jobs? I mean, obviously Trader Joe's became the, the famous one in your case, but were there other side jobs that you had through those years? No. Um, other than teaching and directing occasionally, directing occasionally, teaching pretty, cons not not regularly, but pretty consistently on various levels. Other than directing, teaching, theater, and acting, I had not had a regular job outside of that those things uh, before Trader Joe's for 32 years, going back to 1985. So then Trader Joe's, it really was a, a step in a new direction for you. It was an enormous step. And now, the more I think about it now, I think to myself, man, how did I do it? How did I do that? But I'll tell you, Patrick, these days, the way, you know, things have, you know, I had my, I had my time in the sun for nine to 10 months after that whole thing happened. But things, let me put it this way, things have returned to normal again, especially with the pandemic. And I am back 
somewhat in the situation, not quite as dire, but I'm heading towards the same situation again that I was when I went. And so there's not a day that goes by that I don't think, am I going to either go back to Trader Joe's or something else like it? I'm just being very, I'm being very candid with you and anyone that's listening yeah. between the normal vicissitudes of the entertainment business and the pandemic, the last year and a half has been, has not been good. Mm. I, th- I think any actor, you know, at, at, at any point in their career can, can identify with that. I mean, if it weren't for, you know, the extra unemployment benefits that have come, the, the, the stimulus checks, over the last nine months, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm still dipping into savings. Thank, thank goodness, I have that. But you know, without the extra unemployment benefits, I, I I'm not sure where I would be as well. Because yeah, I, acting work has dried up. I'll I'll add another little branch or twig on the fire. Um, I haven't been able to get any unemployment all this time. Oh yeah, and that's. The reason for that is complicated. I won't go into it, but I'll just tell you, I have not been able to benefit from unemployment at all. Mm, yeah. So then when you're in that situation, because yeah, there are other people because of whatever their work situation was before that they can't get it. And as you say, that is extra fuel to that fire. of. And it's not because I didn't try. I'm sure. And, yeah. So how do you think the understanding and discussion around work has changed since that Trader Joe's incident? In the month or two or three after what happened to me, there was this these in, in, intense focus on the idea of, you know, the nobility of work, et cetera. But I think that, honestly, I think that faded a bit, not, not for the workers who do the work, but for society in general. But what has put focus on work is the pandemic. Definitely. And I'm not I'm not glad the pandemic happened, but one of the positive byproducts of it has been that people have definitely learned to appreciate the everyday worker in a way that they have not been appreciated in decades and decades. In the month that followed that Trader Joe's photo, Jeffrey received overwhelming love and support from his fans and fellow colleagues in the industry. Tyler Perry, for example, offered him a role to appear in his hip drama, The Haves and Have Nots. Jeffrey also received $25,000 from Nicki Minaj, but he graciously opted to pass that on to other actors in need by donating it to the Actors Fund in memory of the late Earl Hyman, who played Cliff's father on The Cosby Show. So there was definitely a boost to Jeffrey's career that came out of what was initially a low point. But there was also an elevation in the conversation around work. And so last summer, in the midst of the pandemic, and two years after Trader Joe's, Jeffrey started a new show on IGTV called Shift Happens focusing on the dignity of work. I just basically interview people about their jobs. You know, just, I just throw some focus on them, basically. And the reason I thought it might be a good idea was that it just seemed the whole idea of work being dig, you know, dignified and you know, the dignity of work and the, the idea that all work matters, all jobs matter, was not only just as relevant as it had been when the whole Trader Joe's incident happened to me, 
but even more so because of the COVID crisis, that we were now really recognizing the everyday, the quotidian heroism of essential workers, of workers of all types that before we were not really acknowledging as significant at all. So it was almost as if pandemic plus Trader Joe's incident equals shift happens, that it seemed very timely for there to be a show that in a, a fun, creative way celebrated the ordinary working man. Right, because had Trader Joe's happened last year, you would have been called an essential worker. But <laughs> since it right. happened in 2018, then you got some backlash from it, you got some support from it. And I assume that both reactions were rather unexpected of you just working a job at Trader Joe's. Yeah, I mean, the idea that anyone would make fun of me or denigrate me about it is very odd and unfortunate. Fortunately, many more people defended me, encouraged me, supported me, many more. Uh, so it was, it was a positive you know, result. But at the same time, it was equally strange to me to be made a kind of hero and kind of poster boy for the all work matters kind of movement. You know, I wasn't comfortable either with people kind of putting me up on a pedestal as someone who was, had done something heroic. Um, I, I didn't do anything heroic. I just got a job because I had to. <laughs> Nothing heroic about it. <laughs> yeah. And what has been the response to Shift Happens? Well, interestingly, we did what was called a promo video, which was about, I don't know, uh, less than three minutes long. And, oh, my gosh, it got all this attention. It was like, whoa, we were not, we, meaning my my co-producer and I, were not prepared for it. We didn't have an episode one lined up. We should have, we should have waited till we had an episode one to make the promo. But we didn't, we didn't think it was going to. I mean, all of a sudden, there was, for a week or two, there was the kind of focus on me, like back what happened with TJ, with Trader Joe's. It was like my my managers called me, hey, this guy wants to talk to you, this guy, TMZ wants to talk to you, doing an article in this our, uh, blurb in LA Times, NPR, All Things Considered, interview. I was like, holy shit. It was like, it became this hot thing for a week or two. But unfortunately, because we didn't have product to back it up, it took us another six weeks or seven weeks to produce episode one. By the time we produced episode one, unfortunately, a lot of that interest had waned. Ah, oh, that's unfortunate. Uh, so yeah. the, the reaction to episode one uh, was, you know, the people who saw it appreciated it, but it, it, the, the focus on it and the attention on it was not commensurate to that of the, the, the uh, that was uh, bestowed on the on the promo, and now it's been a while since it's been over two months since we did episode one. We're now working on finalizing episode two. We're trying to uh, get more people on board because it's just been two of us working on the show, and basically what happened was neither of us had enough energy and time to devote to it, so it, it didn't get done. But now we brought someone else on board, and hopefully. We're going to try to put out episodes of Shift Happens with more, uh, more consistently. 
Yeah, believe me, as someone who does his own podcast and is a one-man operation, it can be tough to do it. Yeah, it's because it, it, involve, it involves a lot of editing, mm-hmm. and neither I nor my colleague has a, a significant editing experience, so be, it became basically untenable for us to really get it done with any kind of regularity. Everybody who's seen it loves it, but it's just a matter of getting it out so that more people see it. Jeffrey touches upon the concept in that old saying, you have to hit while the iron's hot. Basically, for us actors, that means you land in the news or you make a big splash doing something. Well, you want to capitalize on that and hopefully let that propel you to your next job, maybe even something bigger. In many ways, that's what Jeffrey has been doing since The Cosby Show. And for the better part of 35 years, he's been navigating a ladder of success. But... Unlike other professions, which generally progress up a corporate ladder to better pay and better positions, we actors can find ourselves at any point on that ladder of success, at any time. And we spend our whole career climbing up and down, up and down. And in many ways, our status is based upon the last show we did. We're only as good as that last performance we had. You know, it's like... People see me, as we were talking about before, that people see me very much still as Elvin. And it's, it's there's two different things. There's the way the public sees you, and then there's the way the industry sees you. The public sees you like, oh, we loved you as that. What else are you going to do? We want to see more of you. The business is more like, what have you done lately? Oh, yeah, you were Elvin, and 55-plus million people watched you. And you get recognized every day on the street. But that is not good enough for us. We need to know what you've done in the last month or two. Um, It's very much starting, constantly starting over. Like I remember when I went to L.A. in 2005, I kind of stepped out of the business for almost four years in a way because I was teaching for four years and doing very little acting. And when I got to L.A. after that, it was like literally, this was 2005, I'd been in the business for 20 years at that point. I was starting over. And I remember it took Raven Simone giving me an episode, a job, an episode on her show, That's So Raven, to get me going again. It took, it took a, a well-placed favor from an old pal <laughs> who believed in me to get me going again. And even that was just, that was slow going. I, I hardly worked at all five years that I was in LA. As I mentioned, as I implied before, I really haven't worked a lot for many, many years, except for a, 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 an intense spate of work uh, following the Trader Joe's uh, incident. So again, this business is easy. It's easy for them to forget about you. You've got to stay hot somehow, or you get cold really fast. You know, after the Trader Joe's incident, I had nine months of scrutiny, attention, offers of work, and audition opportunities for nine months. At the end of nine months exactly, it stopped cold, and I did not work again for another seven and a half months. And it was like, well, wait, it's me. I'm I'm still that guy. I'm... I'm the guy on the Cosby show. I'm the guy from Trader Joe's, remember? Well, yeah, you are those things, but we've moved on. What have you done for me lately? Not enough. 
And look, Patrick, here's the reality. There's a lot of good actors out there. I know this. Casting people, producers and directors, they have a lot of wonderful people to choose from. Honestly, before the Trader Joe's thing and since, when I get a job in my business, I consider it a miracle. Because the chances are so slim. Yeah, because with almost every audition, we're up against 50, 100, 200 people, depending on the But not even people of your type. People of any type now. When I audition for a role now, it could eventually be played by an Asian woman. You know what I'm saying? It's not just like I'm going up against the best of the African-American men of my age. I'm going up against the best of everybody. Right. Yeah, there is a fluidity now of of, of gender, of ethnicity, of all which, these different... Which there should be. Which there should be. I mean, sociopolitically, it's real good. For, for any one individual actor, not so much. <laughs> right, right. It just puts ad, added pressure, added competition for those limited yeah. roles. Yeah. Now, how has your race affected your career? In, in what ways have you found it to be both a, either a limitation or a benefit? Um, I, you know what, Patrick? This is a hard thing to gauge. I know that in general, in the most broad terms, that as a black actor, I'll say this, and I'm, I, 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 I think I can defend saying it, as a black actor in general, I haven't had as many opportunities as I might have as a white actor. Beyond saying something very general like that, it's really hard to say. Because within being a black actor, you know, I've had a better career than a lot of people. I've had opp- most, more opportunities than a lot of people, right? Mm-hmm. So as an actor of color, to a lot of people, they see my resume, they see the people I've worked with, they go, wow, you've had quite a career. I'm like, yeah, I actually have, you know. Um, it, it's a hard question to say if my race has held me back or helped me, a bit of both. I think it, it neutralizes it. What, what's held me back more, I think, and this is not something I seriously regret because it involves who I am, what has held me back more is not that being an actor of color, but being a mixed actor. Until recently, until the last five at the most 10 years, the business wasn't quite sure what to do with mixed actors. Is that because of the lightness of your skin? It's because I'm, you know, I ain't white and I ain't black enough. Okay. I'm talking about falling through the cracks. I'm saying we can't cast Jeffrey in a white role. He's obviously not white. Now we're looking for a black actor and in crass business terms, he just doesn't read black enough. And, and, and what does that definition mean? That's what's so crazy about it. Like, what does that mean? Well, that definite, the definition of what it means to be black, which has been changing in the last five, 10 years in terms of showbiz, there have been, strides there have been pro- there's been progress but up to that point it's like we don't know you're neither fish nor fowl we don't know what to do with you hmm. being mixed is too it's too complicated for tv film it's it's too theater's one thing there's a suspension of belief whatever you can play anything in the theater sometimes you know there are some 
some limitations to that. But in theater, there's more freedom. There's more imagination involved. Television film, you got to look like what you're supposed to be playing. And if the definition of what you're playing is narrow, then people like me will fall through the cracks. And that I do feel has happened to me a lot. So really, if I'd say anything, it'd be like, well, being a person of mixed heritage has had a, a an adverse effect on my career. That I can say. Hmm, that's so interesting. And for you personally, then, do you feel a responsibility as a Black actor to to promote this or go after this or say things in a certain way? Like, how has it affected you and what responsibilities do you personally feel? I don't think I feel any personal responsibilities except to to do work that I'm proud of in some way or that at least avoid work that I wouldn't be proud of in terms of content and theme. So you don't let your race dictate the kind of career or opportunities or work or roles that you do per se. No, I mean, I, I don't have the chance to do that, Patrick. People do that for me. Oh, you know, I see. I would never limit that. I've got lots of people out there who are making sure that, you know, there's there's tons of things I don't even get seen for because for whatever reason, I'm not right for the part. That's okay. That's that's the business. But myself, no. I mean, I, within reason, I'll go up for anything that I can possibly go up for. Because I am the kind of actor that's like, listen, don't don't say I can't do that. I want to I want to try. You know, why shouldn't I? You know, whatever. You know, maybe the, the, the role should be seen a little bit more in a more complex way or in a more whatever subtle way, or a little more diverse way, a little more nuanced way. No, I should be seen. OK, I'm all about that. But then this is what happened recently. <laughs> I had an audition for a television show and I read the script and I called my manager and I said, Karen, this is a really fun role. There's only one problem. He's Italian-American. He said, uh, uh, Jeff, yeah, I, I know it's written that way, but, you know, they could change it. I said, no, wait, wait, wait. No, Karen, it's not a matter of changing a line or two or a name or anything. This character is an Italian-American steeped in Italian-American culture with Italian-American themes in the script. It's all about being Italian-American. Why on earth are they asking to see me for this? This is what I'm saying to my manager, Patrick, because right. I'm like, look, I'm all for diversity and casting, but I'm not going to throw myself into some complete exercise in futility for someone's amusement. I mean, what is this? They're not going to, well, they could change it. Why would they change it? They're not going to find a good Italian American actor to do this. They're going to go with an African American because they couldn't find a, it was, it was absurd, Patrick, but my manager said, look, they're interested in you. If they don't want you for this, they might want you for something else. <laughs> That's what every you agent says, right? Yeah, I've gotten right. that. You yeah. shouldn't limit yourself. Do it. And I tell you, I, I was like, you know, okay, I'm going to do it. And Patrick, I threw myself into it. It was three scenes. It was like freaking 12 pages of, of script. I worked my ass off on it. I was a self-tape. It was in, within the last pandemic. It was in pandemic times. So I had to do a self-tape. I had to hire someone. I did it. I spent money and time and energy. And I did it. And I think I did a great job. And guess what the answer was? Well, Jeff, they didn't feel like you were right for this. But they <laughs> did love But they loved your audition. And they, I'm like, no kidding. Really? Really? They didn't think I was right for this. Wow. Go figure. 
Oh, my gosh. It was just so ridiculous. But you know what? You know what? In retrospect, I'm glad I did it because it was kind of fun. Yeah, I've had those auditions that that are fun. Whether or not I book it, I enjoyed the audition. Yeah, so I've yeah. had those, yeah. But I don't know what they were thinking. I don't know what they were thinking. Well, you've been behind the table. Do you, have Has that ever entered your mind where, uh, you know, a certain character or role is usually portrayed this way or this is kind of what, but you're open to you know, a different take on it. Have Have you gone through that a- yourself? Absolutely. Absolutely. But if I were directing a play, for instance, with Italian-American character, I wouldn't be looking at African-American actors. I'm sorry. Call me narrow-minded. Call me old-fashioned. Call me limited. Call me bigoted. Call me whatever you want. I would not be looking at African-American actors to cast an Italian-American character because that is an insult to every Italian-American actor in New York City and the world. Yeah, and and the vice versa is true as well, of course. Exactly. Well, this has been a joy to talk to you, to kind of pick your brain about things. So thank you, Jeffrey, and uh, I greatly appreciate it. Thanks, Patrick. It was really enjoyable, actually. If I'm being completely honest, going into this interview, I was nervous to meet Jeffrey. I wanted to impress him in some way, let him know he didn't make a mistake in agreeing to be on the podcast. But what came of this, I think, was a wonderful, honest, and heartfelt conversation between colleagues about this business that may frustrate us from time to time, but is one that we ultimately love dearly. Do check out Jeffrey's work in TV and film. I was looking on IMDb, and in 2020, he appeared in eight different projects. So check the show notes for a list of shows that you can see him in. You'll also find a link to something new this season, which is that the final five episodes are now available to members only by going to join.whyillnevermakeit.com. For either 5 or $10 a month, you'll hear me ask Jeffrey the final five questions. And there's a host of other bonus content like audition stories also available. Just go to join.whyillnevermakeit.com to become a member today. Well, I'm your host, Patrick Oliver Jones, executive producer of Why I'll Never Make It. Dylan Adams is the booking producer. Music in this episode is used under the Creative Commons license. Links to the artists and their music can be found in the show notes. Join me next week for a new guest as we talk more about Why I'll Never Make It. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.